You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. Well, we're going to be tonight uh, a lot in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 4. So if you want to go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 4 and find verse 17. And we'll be concentrating there a little bit with some other verses as well. Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 17. I do have some books still, quite a few, and so if you, some, some of you that uh, have signed up and haven't got a book yet, or if you'd like one um, to follow along with and to do during the week, the work during the week, um, certainly you can see me afterwards, and, and we'll get that there, $4. You can see me afterwards, and we'll get that taken care of for you. Matthew chapter number four tonight. Um, last week, just kind of an overview again, uh, just a quick review here, an overview of the whole study and where, what direction we'd be headed in, Lord willing, and where we'd be going with our study, uh, looking at the different lessons and topics, the different people we're going to be encountering. And this study, again, is God among us, God here with us, and how he made disciples and how we also then model our disciple-making as individuals, as a church as well, that we follow the example and follow Jesus in where he goes, the people that he's going to go and talk to, the places that he's going to be, following that pattern of getting the gospel to the nations, uh, not just the na- but the here, there, and everywhere, as our, as our uh, church uh, mission statement is, and as Acts 1.8, the verse that's based on there, here, there, and everywhere, how do we reach, and how do we disciple, and how do we grow uh, people for the Lord, uh, we follow the example that was given to us by Him. Uh, and, and the important thing, as the title suggests there, God among us, again, establishing again through different verses that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He is fully God, He is fully man. So Isaiah seven fourteen, for example, talking about how uh, a Messiah would come and His name would be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us, God among us. The parallel verse of Matthew 1.23. And then going through some other passages last week, Psalm 102 and Psalm 110, and comparing those to Hebrews 1.8. Those are important doctrinal verses that establish that Jesus Christ is indeed 100% God. He is the Son of God. The comparisons that are in Psalm 102, Psalm 110, and Hebrews 1.8 are comparisons that can only be said about God, that He's unchangeable, that everything else will get old and change and will be folded up at the end like a garment, but that Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forever. The only person that you can say that about is God. And so uh, putting all those things together, it shows us that Jesus Christ is the pattern for us. He is God with us. He is the Son of God. And we establish that through those doctrinal statements. It's an important foundation to see moving forward. Because we have, uh, if we're going to follow a person, we're going to follow the person that is the perfect, uh, sinless Son of God. And He didn't have to give up any godliness. He didn't have to give up any of His God nature. He was 100% God, 100% man at the same time. So He is God among us. He's God with us. So we're going to take some closer looks this week as Jesus calls the first disciples. and, And what He did, who did He go to, what was His call? And so today, the big thing, the first thing to start, that we think about is how much more connected our world is than today. And I'm just curious, as I was thinking through, if you've read your lesson this week, you know that the opening example in the personal study time was talking about telephones and how connected we are through telephones. And I'm just curious, and, and I'm, I mean this in a, in a completely historical and, and, and knowledgeable way, but I'm just curious how many, if there's anyone in here or how many of you in here would remember a time where either you didn't have a phone or maybe you had a party line and you had several people on the phone. Just let me see who's that. Oh, okay. Every, pretty much everybody. Good. Okay. All righty. Uh, and, and, I mean, and that was a time when uh, that kind of connection 
no doubt, was amazing, right? I mean, just to be that connected. And to think about now, you know, we've got phones in our pockets and our purses, and we run around and we can call anybody, anybody can call us, we can send text messages, you know, and all kinds of things. And I tell people this a lot. I don't feel like the, a millennial, okay? There's that millennial generation. I know I'm, uh, and I found out there's actually, I may have told you this before, there's actually a micro generation that I fit perfectly into, okay? People that were born between like 1975 and 1983, just, you know, I was born in 81, so, so I'm, I'm in there. I'm in there, okay? And, uh, but anyway, but that group of people, are people that grew up similar to me where cell phones were just kind of becoming a new thing. When I was in high school in the 90s, not everybody had cell phones like, like teenagers sometimes often today because it just wasn't, and if they did, it was like, you know, a big old clunky thing. How many of you remember the 90s clunky cell phones, right? Okay, you know, you had to, hello, and flip it open, that kind of thing, all right? You know, uh, it, it wasn't a thing. Uh, my, the first time I ever had a cell phone that was my cell phone, was after I had graduated college and I had a job and I was married to Megan and we were living in Suwannee, Georgia. That was the first time I ever had my own cell phone. I didn't grow up with one. I know how to use a rotary phone, by the way, okay? I know how to do that because that's what I grew up with. I know what a tape is. I know what a record is. So I'm not in that generation. Uh, and I say all that because, because so much has changed and we're so connected through phones and we can pick it up. But I even remember a time, and I'm not... You know, I even remember a time where we weren't as connected, or it was harder still, or we had to go to a physical phone landline that was connected to the wall and couldn't walk very far with it, you know what I mean? Or you get one of those really long cords, right? <laughs> no, you don't, but I remember pay phones too, Mike. I've used a pay phone. I've used a pay phone, and I had a card. You remember the old 1010-220s and the thing, the 1010-321s and the little phone cards, you know, that had 60 minutes or whatever on them? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody remember those? You could buy minutes on a phone, and you dialed the number on the back of the card first and said, you have 20 minutes remaining. And then you would dial your phone number that you wanted to call, and it would pitch you through. So anyway, I remember that too, though, Mike, pay phones. I, I've been there. Uh, but, but yes, but so they, they were so much more connected. But, but with that connection often comes frustration, right? Because sometimes we don't want to be that connected. Do we feel that way sometimes too? Sometimes we just don't want to be that connected. <laughs> He's got his right there. <laughs> we don't want it. So let me ask you this question here as we kind of uh, open up. How many of you ever uh, pull your phone out and look at who's calling you and put it back away? <laughs> I'm not going to look right now, okay? But you can be honest, all right? <laughs> Sometimes we do that, right? Right, exactly. Some of Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'll ask you this, too. What, what habits do you have now when it comes to making and receiving phone calls today, right now? What habits do you all have? You don't answer any numbers you don't recognize. Okay, good. Yes. I got a story about that. I'll, I'll, I'll wait for a minute. Right. 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 Yeah. Right, I've heard that. Exactly. If you You can't, that's, oh, no. <laughs> oh, 
They can, yeah. That's what. And that's why it's better not to ask. Right, right. And I, and and those are a lot of things. And those habits, then, some of those habits that we get into have actually become out of necessity. As as many of you have said, you know, we can't answer if we don't recognize it because it may be a scam. And they can use the word yes that you say to uh, further scam you, you know, and record you and whatever. I've heard all those things too, and, and I know that that's, it makes us weary to answer, or, or weary, weary, not weary, maybe weary too, to answer the phone, right? We don't want to answer it. Uh, and I got, and I told, I had a, a thing about that the other day. We had a small problem with our website, and I called the company because it was something I couldn't fix. And so, they called me back on Monday because it was over the weekend. They called me back on Monday, and I didn't answer it because it was a phone number from California, you know. And so I actually I missed a call that I needed to answer, but I didn't answer because it was a California phone number, and I didn't I didn't recognize it, you know. Yeah, that's <laughs> we can ignore them, right? That's what you're saying. Um, and and you said you can't slam the phone anymore. You're right. See, I remember how to slam the phone too, but you can't do it with your cell phone. Slamming the phone. Uh, it just frustration. <laughs> right. Yeah. You probably had those calls, right? My phone's broken. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, what? What? So there have been, and we can answer this again here. The the habits that we've developed they're beneficial at times, right? Because what we're we're not answering a scam phone call. We're not putting ourselves at risk for them taking something they could use in a different place. Um, how about anyone else, though? I, I gave you an example of a problem that I had, a phone call that I needed to answer but didn't. Is there any other person here you've experienced a, your phone habit now has caused a problem for you? Basically, yeah. I will, t- I will tell you this. I, I don't have everybody's phone number here. But if it says 910 on it, I will answer it, okay? I, I do answer the 910 phone calls because I know it's somewhere here, okay? But if I know it's not from... And are you not 910? I'm not 910. So if I call you, <laughs> you're going to say, Georgia? I'm not answering that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure we do. Yeah, right, and that's, and that's what I've noticed with my still having an Atlanta cell phone number. I get calls from Atlanta for the same area code that I have, but I don't answer them because I don't. Anybody that, that lives there that wants to call me, I've got their phone number recorded, so their name would pop up. So, But anyway, so, so those habits can be beneficial or uh, detrimental depending upon what we're, what we're doing, but those habits have become habits sometimes out of necessity today. So the question then is how many people, or, or in relating back to it, uh, do we or do people around us treat the call of repentance that Jesus gave in a similar way? Uh, I like what our brother this morning said as he was preaching about how the call is going out and there were really only two options. There was obeying or disobeying. And that really is kind of, it focuses into what Jesus' call to repentance was. That was the first thing that Jesus did when he came was call to repentance. And if, if we're treating the call to repentance sometimes in the same way that, that, that we're treating the way that we've, we, uh, our phone calls, then we could miss a very important thing, obviously. The most important thing, which would be to repent, a person who is unsaved, who chooses to ignore that call or look at it and say, you know what, I recognize the phone number, I know who it is, but I just don't want to talk right now. Or a person who says, I don't know. It's an important call because it's the first step in being a disciple of Jesus is that we ourselves have to answer that call to repentance. And the answer is going to be either yes, because you're going to answer the call and the person's going to get saved, or there's going to be a no answer. And it may not be a physical, actual no answer, 
that a person who's unsaved would give to the Lord, it would just be constantly ignoring that call, that pricking of the Holy Spirit in that person's heart. And they would constantly ignore and constantly ignore, and eventually that call goes unanswered and it goes away. And that's the, that's, the, that's the issue that we're dealing with today. Jesus' call to repentance demands an answer. It needs an answer right away. Um, when we feel the Holy Spirit leading in our life, maybe we're already saved. How do we respond to that call that, that the Holy Spirit has in our life? Are we following the leading ourselves, or are we putting the phone aside saying, you know what, I'm not going to answer that right now. I'm going to wait. But repentance is a call that demands an answer. So to be true disciples, a person has to first do that. So that's our first thing. Matthew 4, 17, Jesus calls for repentance. And I'll read this verse tonight here. It says, From that time began, uh, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what is repentance? A turn around? Turning away from... Uh, what you were before, okay? A change in one's mind, a turnaround, to, to look back. Last week we gave the illustration as we see, uh, for example, in Psalm 1, a person who's walking in the way of unrighteousness or walking in the way of righteousness. If you're walking in the way of unrighteousness and you repent, it's a complete turnaround to the way of righteousness, a completely different direction. For the disciples, as we're going to see in just a moment, in our verses here, their call to repentance included giving up everything that they once knew before. Because what are they? As we're going to read later on, but you already know what did Andrew, James, uh, and John? What did they all do? Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They all did what? They were fishermen, and when the call came, they they what did they do next? They left everything. Left everything, and they walked away. And our call to repentance may not require that from us. But our call of repentance does require us to turn from an old life and begin a new life. Repentance is demonstrated through following Jesus. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. And we may think that this call is suddenly abrupt. Suddenly here it is, from that time forward, Jesus began to re preach repentance. But if we look throughout all of the Old Testament, the call was the same. The message has always been the same. The call to repentance and to follow Christ uh, has always been the same. It's just in the Old Testament, it was in a different way. Look over at Romans chapter 2 really quickly. Because there's a lot of things that lead us to that repentance. A lot of things uh, that, that draw us to Christ. And some people would say, well, I didn't hear the call, or I don't know the call, or this, that, or the other. I would say, spiritually speaking, that we here in America have got one of the biggest calls the loudest, maybe I'll say it that way, one of the loudest calls. Let's read this, and, we'll, and I'll talk about that for just a minute. Verse, uh, Romans chapter 2, verse number 1. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things? And doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. Now here it is, verse 4. Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. We're a blessed people because we're not hiding right now from a, a religious group of people that hate Christians. We're not hiding from government soldiers we have a building that is clearly a church that we're in tonight. We have a sign out front. It has lights at night. We have a steeple. If you go back to that time before all these inventions, the church was the center of the community. It was. And I think that still goes back to our blessings, the loud call that we have in America that there was, that was a center of community and people are coming there. People know it. People see it. So their call to repentance is loud in America. And I think having that community that as the center there, that's, that, that goes to the same thing here too. That the goodness of God allowing us to be in a place where we have the freedom to worship openly 
is a loud call to repentance. And I think that we need to remember that oftentimes the good things and the blessings in our life that come along are simply God trying to work in our life to get us to that place where we recognize our need. We're led to repentance through the kindness of the Lord. So here's the next question. Why do you think Matthew summed up Jesus' preaching ministry with this announcement about God's kingdom and the call to repent? Why do you think that? Matthew summed up Jesus' preaching ministry with this announcement. Okay, that's why he came. Here's what I wrote in my book. You must put all behind and follow Jesus. It's a complete change from before. We have to forsake our old way of life and begin our new way. So the preaching ministry, the sum, the call to repent, is that first step that we all have to decide if we're going to take. Every person has to decide for themselves if they're going to take that first step. And that's why it's important. That's why the, the first thing that it says Jesus began to preach is... Repent. Repent. So uh, the next point, the second part of the question is this. Why did Jesus call for repentance? There you go. Exactly. Kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has come near. Jesus was announcing and sharing that the fulfillment of all the Old Testament scriptures and prophecies had come. The time was now. Jesus was there to begin his ministry and to ultimately go to the cross, to die on the cross, and to be raised again the third day, to bring that near so that the kingdom of heaven, so that the prophecies would be fulfilled and it would become near. But in order for people to take part in the kingdom of heaven, in order for people to become part of that, they had to accept and open up to that call of repentance and accept it and realize the condition they were in and realize where they were at, that they had a need of repentance. We can't be on board and following what God has for us and doing what God wants us to do if we haven't first answered the call in the right way. And so that's the first thing that established. The kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent now so you can get on board with what I'm doing in the world right now so that others, too, can hear about this call and be led to repentance as well. And so we have to turn away from ourselves to be a true disciple. We have to give uh, put aside everything from before and follow in to what Christ has for us. What are we then to repent of? Our sin. We're meant to repent of our sin. Okay? And that comes down to an acknowledgement of our own condition. It comes down... Because so many times today, there are some times that if you go and try to witness to a person today or say something to a person today... Like this. Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? The answer sometimes could come back like this. I'm not in trouble. Why do I need a Savior? There's nothing wrong. What do I need to be saved from? That might be an answer that would be given back as well in that question. Why, what, what do I need to be saved from? Because the, the knowledge of the Scriptures is less prevalent today than maybe it was at one time. So a person has to come to the point where they realize that they have a need before they're going to turn to a Savior. So oftentimes, as we're trying to go out and make disciples, we have to go back and establish why a person is a sinner in the first place. I'm going to read a verse to you, but I'd like for you to turn to Romans chapter 5, please. See, there's two reasons today that a person needs a Savior. There's two reasons today that a person needs to repent. They're the same reason, but there's two parts, I guess is a, probably a better way of saying it. John 8.34 says this, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12 gives us a very important point that everyone has to come to acknowledgement of. If a person doesn't come to this place in acknowledgement of their life, they're not going to get saved because they won't see their need. 
Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Now what that means is this. It means that a person did not necessarily sin in the exact same way that Adam and Eve did. But sin was there nonetheless, and uh, they did not, there was not a specific violation of the law that was given. It was, you're a sinner because sin nature has passed on to you. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who's the figure of him that was to come. Adam in the garden, he's the first Adam. Jesus Christ is often pictured as the second Adam. And a person who didn't commit the exact same sin as Adam still has a sin nature in them because it is passed on through uh, uh, Adam's line, Adam's race, sin nature. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more by the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, the second Adam, hath abounded unto many that we can have the grace of God, that through Jesus Christ's obedience, verse number 16, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift, for the judgment was come was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Adam's sin and the sin nature passed on to everyone. And I've said this before, and you've heard it before too from other, other people that are way smarter than me. If you don't believe that there's a sin nature then go down to the nursery next Sunday morning, okay? Just go down to the nursery next Sunday morning. Because what do they want? Mine, 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 right? Nobody had to sit down and say, okay, kids, this is how you fight over a toy, all right? This is how you tell a lie, okay? No one had to teach anybody that. So we have a sin nature. But also in John 8, 34, as I read a minute ago, a person has a sin nature and they continually commit sin. They're a servant to sin, so there is a sin nature, and there is the idea of a person continually committing sin, becoming the servant of sin, and that is what we need to be saved from. But until a person comes to the place where they recognize their need and recognize their sin and recognize who they are, they're not going to repent because they don't think they need to. And that's why it's so urgent that we get the gospel out in a clear and uh, manner, in a truthful manner, in a right manner, so that people understand that because they won't even begin to comprehend what it means to be saved until they first see themselves as something other than what they are, a person in need of a Savior. I won't take time to read this verse, but I will mention Philippians 3, verses 4 through 8. Jesus is the only qualified person to take our sin. He's the only one there. And so many people today try to place their faith in self-righteousness, and they don't realize the effect of that. And Philippians 3 Verses 4 through 8, Paul goes on a huge list of all the things that could make him saved. He was a Pharisee, and he was taught by some of the best people that you could be taught by in those days. And he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and he was from the tribe of Benjamin. All these things that he listed that was a self-righteous gain for him. He says, I count all those things but loss. They're all dung. They're all worthless. Why? Because only Christ could save him. None of that other stuff that he listed out that he counted as good for him as a Jew could save him. And our self-righteousness cannot save us either. We can't say, well, you know, I've never done anything like that. I've been in church my whole life. I serve on a committee. I, those things will not count for repentance. And they will not count for true salvation. Let me ask you this question. Do you sense urgency in the words of Jesus called to repent? Do you sense urgency? Okay. Okay. 
Right. Right. What about that Birmingham church? They were on that they only church in Iowa. I don't know about that. I'm not I'm not going down that road. <laughs> what I what I can say though is back to what you were saying, it's why it's important to get the, the actual gospel message out because if it was a universal thing, then Jesus wouldn't have said repent. He would have said repent. So there is a sense of urgency, I think, for sure, in what he said. Um, let me read this passage here to you. Hebrews three, seven and eight. Here's the urgency of it. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. Today, today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice today, do not harden your heart. And that's important. It is an urgent call. It is an urgent call for repentance. So that was Jesus' first call. So as we saw there, Jesus calls, and it's an urgent call for repentance. So moving on here, back to Matthew chapter 4. Who did Jesus call? Jesus went and found the wealthiest people he could find with the best plan, strategy, how they could effectively reach many people. Let's look and see. Hebrew, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. They were fishermen. Now, a lot of times you see quotes in the Bible about the Pharisees, and they'll say, you know, these men are unlearned and ignorant. I think that they were smart people. I think they were taught, but they weren't taught the same way that Paul or other Pharisees would have been taught, Okay. But they're not the kind of people that you would think, hmm, that's who I want. They weren't educated. Right. They weren't at the top. They're fishermen. Now, I will say this. Their occupation was probably a little bit more honorable than, say, the shepherds. Uh, shepherds are like my favorite Christmas group of people because they're the outcast, dirty, out in the field. I mean, it's a long. I just love the fact that they got the first announcement from the angel. I love it. Um, but he goes to fishermen. Verse 19, he saith unto them, Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Straightway they left their nets and followed him. Going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Look what they did. They immediately left the ship, and their father followed him. They didn't question. They didn't turn back. They didn't think. They didn't say, Hey, you know, Dad, can I go with him? Looks kind of cool. Uh, Peter and Andrew... Uh, and I'll, I'll show you this. I can't say this is 100% true or not, but I can say that uh, uh, it's in Mark chapter 1, verse number 20. Go ahead and go there real quick. It seems to indicate that there may have been a slight social difference between James and John and Peter and Andrew. And I'll show you this in Mark 1.20. I'm sorry? R- right. Right, that's where I was, yeah, and that's what Mark 1.20 says. If you go to Mark 1.20, it says, Straightway he called them, talking about, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. So it may be that uh, James and John were a slightly elevated uh, social standing. Maybe Peter and Andrew were more like the blue-collar workers, and uh, James and John may have been like management, okay? <laughs> if you want to put it into some modern-day terms. But it may have been a slight difference in them uh, for that. But it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, we're not talking about CEOs of multi-million. We're not talking about people that made their own wealth. We're not talking about people who have this amazing charismatic personality that just draws people to them. Uh, we're talking about people that probably smelled a little bit like fish. How many? Okay, we go fishing, right? Okay, eventually you smell like uh, you need a shower when you get back from fishing. Now, that's the first thing. When I go fishing, the first thing my wife says is, all right, you go take a shower, okay? Because <laughs> what I've been doing all day, I've been picking up fish out of the water, you know, I get them in the net and put them in the thing. And uh, we, we only use a little bit of a worm at a time, so I pick the big old worm up and kind of <laughs> use my thumb 
and my finger and kind of squeeze like about a third of it off, put the other two-thirds back in the bucket and tie it in, put the hook all through it. You know, you got guts all over your hands, okay? That's how I do it. I don't waste a lot. I don't waste a whole worm on a fish, okay? But the point is this, okay? You don't come back. You come back, and you're not always clean when you go catching fish, all right? And Jesus called those people first to come and to follow him. He didn't go to the wealthy, the, the higher-ups, so to speak. And he used a play on words that they had become fishers of men. Notice this, just like in 1 Samuel 3.10, they left all with no question. 1 Samuel 3.10 says this, The Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. How many other people, this is a question here for you all, how many other men or women in the Bible immediately left when the call came? Who else are some that we can think of? Abraham, good, Abraham. He left away, and he had a journey to take. Who else? Let me get there. Noah. Noah heard that there was going to be rain. They had to build a boat. He didn't say, hey, what's rain? Because if you read, a mist came up from the ground and watered the earth. He didn't say, what's rain? What's, yep, mm. Noah. I, I wrote some other people down, um, prophets of the Old Testament, oftentimes. Uh, Joshua answered a call. Here's a woman, by the way. Deborah answered a call. He did, and that was the second part of the question. Who may be delayed in, in answering yes. Jonah, <laughs> yeah, Jonah definitely delayed, okay? Uh, Moses, because we just we mentioned that with Moses. How about Gideon? Gideon kind of delayed. He did obey, but he delayed because he said, hey, I need a sign. You know, make the fleece wet and the ground dry, and then make the ground dry and the fleece. How about John? Okay, yep. I put, with opposite of Deborah, I put Barak. It's interesting that, um, you know, a lot of times people will say, and this is just a side thing, people will say, well, you know, the Bible is so anti-woman. Well, guess what, okay? Deborah stood up when Barak wouldn't, and Barak didn't get to kill the general. Guess who killed the general? A woman with a tent peg through the head, okay? Read it. It's in Judges, I think. And the thing is, is because the men didn't stand up, but the women answered the call. You mean John the Baptist? Yes, I don't know if it would be a call, but I remember when he told, you know, when they came and he told Martha she was to be pregnant, didn't he, wasn't he unable to speak? Right. Because he, was, he, didn't, he didn't believe right away, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Hey, I think sometimes it's not about Right. Right. That's a good, that's good, yeah. Patient, because there's a lot of patience as we see, and Jesus taught them more patience, but as we see uh, throughout Jesus' whole ministry, he had to have a lot of patience with the people he was dealing with. He has to have a lot of patience with me, I know that. <laughs> Joseph. Okay. I didn't think about that. That was a good one, though. Elisha. Any others that you can think of that either obeyed immediately or obeyed, but, but kind of on a delayed schedule? See, Jesus is still calling today. God is still calling us to follow him. And the question is, are we going to answer immediately like these guys did, uh, like Abraham, or are we going to delay a little bit? You know, uh, but the call still goes. Mm-hmm. Right, she came right back. That's right, she did. That's a good picture, too. So Jesus is calling everyone to follow him. Jesus is calling out, and he's not looking for uh, the CEOs. He's not looking necessarily for, the, for the, the people that have the charismatic personality, that have a plan that can sit down and figure out how to do all this stuff just right to get the most number of people to come. He's looking for people who are willing. Who fits the bill? 
Who fits the bill of people that come? Those that answer the call. Those that answer the call are the ones that fit the profile. There is no profile. There is no, this is the perfect person. You know, when you go for a job interview, you go for a thing, they have a, a, a list of requirements and specifications and who fits this profile best, and that's who we're going to hire. But the people that fit the profile of Jesus' call are those that say, yes, Lord, I will go. Here am I, send me. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. Those are the people that fit the profile that Jesus' call goes to. And we have to give up our selfish ambition. And it doesn't mean, like I said earlier, that we have to give up everything. And the, These guys, when they gave up, they gave up their livelihood, their work. They walked away from it and followed Jesus. And that's not always what we're called to do, but it might be. It might be that God says, you know what, to answer the call, I've got an entirely different occupation that I want you to have right now. And the question just comes back to us is whether we're willing to do that. We have to give up the idea that we control our destiny. And instead, we submit and see God do amazing things. God calls those who are unlikely because it's through those that are unlikely that the greatest power of God is demonstrated. Because other people would look back and say, how in the world did that person do any of that stuff? How in the world did that person accomplish this great thing? And the only answer for that is God. God gave the strength. God gave the increase. God gave the power. And this person who was unlikely was able to do great things. As we read later in the book of Acts and we read the epistles, we see how Peter had a complete turnaround. We see Paul. We see uh, James. And it wasn't this James. This James was martyred early. But we see James, who is the brother of Jesus, who at first rejected and then came back. We see his epistle in there. And we read these and we see that God used unlikely men for great works. And so we submit to God today and we see him do amazing things. Let me ask you this. Why is it or is it comforting and empowering for us to know that God calls every day ordinary people to proclaim the extraordinary gospel? Is that comforting to us? Why is it comforting to us? Right. Right. Turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 9, verse number 9. Because the next person that we see that Jesus calls to is an unpopular and unexpected person. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 9 says this. As Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. Matthew was unpopular. Matthew would have been unexpected because he was a person that was seen as a traitor. He was like Zacchaeus. We talked a little bit about Zacchaeus last week. He was a person who was a tax collector. And what they did, take a little bit off the top. Oh, yeah, you, you, know, you owe uh, $100 in tax, you know, and 80 of it goes to the government, 20 of it goes in the guy's pocket, right? And they knew they were scamming, and they were seen as traitors because they were Jewish people collecting taxes from other Jewish people for the Roman government. And Matthew's old world and new world collided as he saw Jesus call. Look on, read on in in Matthew chapter 9. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came, sat down with him and his disciples. Many of them came. And it wasn't just that Matthew was the only person who was unpopular and unexpected to be called. He chose instead to go to those who needed him. He chose instead to go to those who were the unpopular ones. When the Pharisees saw it, verse 11, said to his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said to them, They that behold, need not a physician, but they that are sick. 
But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. A person who's well doesn't need a doctor. But I think there's a deeper meaning there for that. One that we have to be careful with, too. See, the Pharisees were self-righteous. And as we mentioned a little bit earlier this evening, they didn't see their need for a physician. They didn't see their need to be healed. They didn't recognize that they needed the call to repentance in the same way that they did. They were judgmental. They were like in, 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 earlier as we read in, in, uh, in Romans chapter 2 that they're judging Matthew for being a publican and a sinner and a hypocrite and a thief and a liar and a cheat. And they were doing the same things under the guise of religious uh, instruction and religious knowledge. They created a whole world of, of rules that weren't beyond what was in the Old Testament. And so because of those things, they were doing the same. And they would not escape. But their main problem was they did not see themselves as sick in need of a physician. They didn't see it. And if we're not careful, we get in the same position as well. They were also in need of repentance. And I think that's what Jesus was saying. He didn't come to call on those who thought they, he came to call on those that knew they needed a Savior. Psalm 103.3, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Jesus is the great physician, not just for physical healing, but also the spiritual healing, which is so much more important. Sometimes we have physical ailments and we get healed from them. And sometimes people have physical ailments and they don't get healed from them. But a spiritual ailment, a person always gets healed from when they come to the great physician, Jesus Christ, and ask in repentance for forgiveness of their sins. And that is the more earnest and more pressing need that we have today is for spiritual healing and spiritual, a spiritual great physician who heals the disease of sin from our life. Why do you think the Pharisees felt offended by the people at the dinner? Okay. What else? Why were they offended? Okay, not following Jewish laws. Okay. It's good. In their self-righteousness, they felt those were unworthy of forgiveness and fellowship. They made the grace of God of no effect by doing that. Pharisees were blinded by self-righteousness, did not realize their own need, perhaps even just because simply, hey, maybe they were just jealous. How come I didn't get invited? How come no one called me? How, does, how should Jesus' response impact the way that we think about our hospitality and ministry? What was Jesus' response? Okay, not to profile anyone. We extend the call of repentance to all. We do not limit the grace of God by human standards. We can't look around and say, well, I think that person deserves, but, you know, over here, mm, maybe not. So what kinds of people did Jesus minister to then? What kinds of people did Jesus minister to? Everybody. So in our discipleship, as we go out, we minister to everybody too. If we're going to follow Jesus and pattern our disciple making after what Jesus did, we go out and do the same thing. We don't have the right to look at a person and say, you're beyond, or I'm not going to share with you. Because Jesus didn't look at us and say, you know what? No. So the unpopular. 
One more, it's not in your book, but I have to share it. I didn't share it last week. I'll be brief with it, I promise. Look at John chapter 4, or excuse me, hold on. Let me back up. Matthew chapter 15. Go there quickly. Because Jesus went to all kinds of people. The official son, he went to lepers, he went to paralytic man, he, the unclean woman with the issue of blood, he fed multitudes, he raised the dead to life, he did many things that were not even recorded in the Gospels. He didn't limit who he went to. Matthew chapter 15, you're in the book of Matthew already, you're, I hear the pages turning, that's great, let me get there too. Because there's a person here that would have been very unexpected. This is an interesting story, Matthew 15, 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. Here's a person who's a Gentile. Here's a person who is at the end of her rope. She knows that Jesus is there. She knows and she's heard about Jesus but she's not a Jewish person. Now look at Jesus' response. He answered and said, I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It's not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. What? He just said the woman was a dog. She wasn't a Jew. She was a Gentile woman. So that's what a Jewish person would have said. Now, it's not, now listen, go on. The story doesn't stop there. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Jesus ministered to people who were unexpected because they weren't Jewish people. See, the disciples were saying, send her away, send her away, because they're Jewish, and they knew that the prophecies of the Old Testament talked about a Jewish Messiah who's going to come. And, all. and they had made the same mistake that we often make sometimes. Send her away. We don't need her. Get her out of here. But Jesus answered and responded to her in the way that we should as well. We don't limit the grace of God. We don't pick and choose he healed that woman's daughter because of her great faith. And we go out to those also today who are unexpected, who are unpopular, who are unlikely. Because if we take a good long look at ourselves, guess what we are? We're the same three things. We're the same three things. I'll ask one more question just in closing tonight. In what ways, and maybe you've had the study, maybe, in what ways has the study impacted us this week? Are we going to choose to go and spend our time with different kinds of people in the future based on things that we're hearing tonight? As followers of Jesus, how can we model his actions to those in need around us? Because the unlikely, the unexpected, and the unpopular are people that still need to hear the gospel today. And we're called to go out and to share that. To make disciples of all nations means to go to those and not limit the grace of God. Not limit who we say, who we share Christ with. Not limit how we do it. But instead, reaching out to those in need. Any questions or comments tonight as we close?